0: Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Coming up a little later in the hour, I'm going to talk with USA Today reporter Nathan Bomey about Amazon's plans to build a distribution center in Detroit and how that fits into the larger picture of how the company is reshaping retail in our country. But first, this time last week on the show, we talked about the return of professional and student sports and whether it could be done safely. Well, since then, the Big Ten Conference has said no, at least when it comes to college football this fall. The conference announced this week it will not play football and might try again in the spring, depending on how the pandemic is playing out by then. The Pac-12 recently made a similar decision not to play football this year. Then, yesterday, the NCAA officially canceled Division I fall championship events, except for top-tier football, which the NCAA does not govern. Those decisions, as well as the debates about whether other conferences will play in the fall, open up long-standing questions about how players are treated in the NCAA? Is this an opportunity to build a better future for student athletes? Or is it a reflection of a system that treats players as commodities more than human beings? Here to talk more about those questions and the bigger implications of the Big Ten's decision is ESPN staff writer Bill Connolly. Bill, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So, let's start here. What do we know about why the Big Ten, the Pac-10, and other smaller conferences decided to cancel their fall seasons?
1: Well, I mean, it's a combination of you know pretty familiar things if you've been following the coronavirus in general. Number one, and I don't think we've talked about this enough, number one is simply um, a lot of schools can't afford the testing required. Um, it is still strangely expensive to... Procure, uh, coronavirus tests, and uh, in, in many, many cases, it takes a while to get the results back, and it's hard to do any sort of contact tracing. It's hard to do any sort of anything, really, uh, if, you know, you guys are going to continue to practice while they find out whether they're testing positive or not. So, I mean, that's a pure logistical and money issue right there that has been a massive, massive problem, especially at any school that's below the Power Five conferences. Um, for the Power Five itself, you still have some issues about that. You still have slow test results and all that. And then you've also now, uh, with the Big Ten and Pac-12, what they ended up, you know, what ended up kind of pushing them over the top in this regard is you know, doctors talking about myocarditis and um, the, the oversized impact that uh, coronavirus can have on that and the unknown long-term effects, That which obviously if you're if you're still going to try to play a you know, a sport in the sp- in the springtime or winter or spring or whatever. We're only going to know so much more by then. But it just became uh, a question of like we we just don't know enough right now, and it seems you know we're, we're driving 85 miles per hour down a highway in a downpour. And, <laughs> and it, it just doesn't feel right, and yeah. that seemed to be the biggest reason, the the thing that pushed them over the top and deciding to postpone.
0: So so I have always thought, at least since the pandemic played out I guess the way it did that football was was uh, the the sport that made maybe the least sense of all of the sports given the the close contact that players are in the whole time and uh, and given the impossibility I guess of the idea of the kind of bubble that you've created with NBA teams in mm-hmm. Orlando uh, but, but it's taken a long time I guess for colleges to get to this point or conferences to get to this point, and it seems like it's going to be somewhat chaotic or maybe more chaotic because they're making these last-minute uh, decisions than it would have been if if they had all just said, listen, we we, we don't think this can work. But, but try to give us a sense of what we will see with, with college football this fall. If the Big Ten, if the Pac-12, I assume there will be some other conferences, major conferences that make the same decision. If they're not part of the mix, what is – college football going to look like
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's kind of funny you know at this time normally uh, i'd be writing you know finishing up my team previews and uh you know we'd be getting our final projections out and all these other things and because the season's getting ready to start in about a week and a half now we really don't know if the season's starting in six weeks or four months or not at all <laughs> and i we're not going to know for a couple more weeks i mean the biggest thing with the biggest reason um, The three power conferences are continuing to push forward. The ACC, the SEC, and the Big Twelve is that, for the most part. Now we saw some cracks in this yesterday from the ACC, but for the most part, after some early problems, after some trial and error early on, a lot of these schools have figured out very good bubble practices. They've, you know, because others because classes aren't going on because students aren't on campus, they've been able to, you know, get the message through to the players that you know you're at your apartment and you're at the facility and that's it and uh, they've established some pretty good practices, again, not universally. It, you know Florida State and Syracuse and Pitt are uh, you know, came out yesterday. They're, they seem to be having some issues. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they've done okay a- after a rough start. and so they think they can keep it going. It, the problem is this is college athletics, which um, you know means these guys are amateurs. They can't make money off their likeness. they can't be treated uh, special in any way theoretically, and therefore they're going to have to go to class when students come back. And when students come back, I think we're all kind of expecting case numbers to to go up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they basically – they have six, now, uh, six weeks now before their supposed start of the season. And, you know, if they can make it through the next couple of weeks without those positive cases going through the roof, then maybe their bubbles are well-established enough to push forward. And at mm-hmm. that point, things get really weird because – you're you're supposedly going to have a you know a national title race here with only about 75 of 130 teams playing and then potentially 55 other teams starting to play when those teams end and it's going to be super weird and nobody knows how it's going to work but you know if you were to ask me to put my life savings on something uh and and thank goodness you're not but i would say that in the end we probably end up with everybody still punting until the winter or spring it's Mm. just they're obviously going to keep trying, and, and we'll see how these uh, next couple weeks go.
0: Mm. Uh, I'm talking with Bill Connolly. He's an ESPN staff writer. Wrote a piece this week titled "A Better Future for College Football Players." Here's how to make it happen, uh, uh, Bill. Before we talk about the league more generally, um, I, I, I do want to want to ask you to speculate a little bit about how much this chaos that's Caused not by football itself, but by a pandemic, sort of triggers these bigger questions about college football. I I feel like uh, just like the NFL, college football is in a pretty precarious state. There's a lot of questions about the the practices that govern it and the way that it affects players. Does does this this interruption or disruption of the pandemic? automatically sort of push us into the space of really rethinking those those bigger questions?
1: I mean, it should. I don't know that it will because we're pretty good at just kind of, you know, gritting our teeth through a big issue that we should do something about and then trying to resume normalcy the moment that uh, issues subside. So we'll see if anything comes about. But no, this was the perfect summer for uh, perfectly highlighting basically every single one of college football's of the flaws that have been in college football's infrastructure from the very, very beginning, Uh, you know, on one hand, You've got, uh, you know, the the quote-unquote voluntary practices that started in in June, the conditioning. Uh, Everybody was uh, asked to come back to campus to voluntarily work out of facilities and whatnot. Uh, So, I mean, there was a very clear acknowledgement here that, man, if we don't play football this fall, our our athletic department is wrecked. Our budget is wrecked. Uh, Our communities depend on football. All these, you know, we we depend on football so much for so much of our economic health, and uh, if, the season isn't played, we're in big trouble. So we are acknowledging that college football athletes are very important, are unique in many ways. But then, uh, you know, uh, you know, it, 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 Meanwhile, you've got the the protests in in late May and June. You've got Mississippi State running back Keelan Hill helping to lead a push to get Mississippi State flag Mm -hmm. uh, changed Mm -hmm. finally. You've got players pushing back against coaches and discovering their voices and proving they're kind of worthy of the stage that they're on. And then the NCAA goes to the Senate floor and says that they still don't deserve to make much money off of their name, image, and likeness. We're still going to fight that as much as possible. We're still going to create the straw men that we've always created about how this will ruin amateurism and uh, Uh, You know, it'll hurt women's sports somehow and all these other things. Uh, The the NCAA didn't want anything to change. They Mm -hmm. just wanted to acknowledge that they need the money and, you know, put these students at extra potential risk and then go back to the, the normal system. So, it, it perfectly highlighted everything it, it was just all laid out there all the the ridiculous contradictions and then you know this fall one of the biggest issues is they are going to be around the normal student population because they can't bubble up like a pro team right. when you could have them take classes online you could do things differently but that would prove that they're not really amateurs and they're they're not normal students and then you'd have to do something about it so i don't know what comes about i know what should come about i mean we, we've clearly now that we've seen the flaws and when you can't you can't deny them, it would stand to reason that we should do something about it but I, I don't know what that is or, or, or if it'll actually happen in the end
0: so so I have uh, a couple of years ago uh, Desmond Howard, who is uh, an ESPN analyst, uh, also a classmate of mine from mm-hmm. the University of Michigan, said something that really stuck with me about College football and and college football players. He was talking about the difference between when he was in school and and now. And he talked about all of the things that have changed: the TV contracts, the coaches' yeah. salaries, uh, the, the 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 number of different people who are able to make money and way more money now than they did 30 years ago. And he said. But the the situation for NCAA players is almost exactly the same. Like nothing has changed in terms right. of what benefits they get since he was in school. It was a really interesting way to think about this question. I mean I think uh, often uh, when we're talking about these issues, um, we, we talk about the the idea of amateur sports versus professional sports or we talk about the idea of them being college students. But we don't talk about – how their fate fits in with everybody else's and that everybody else has seen uh, the world change dramatically in terms of college sports, but, but they haven't. And it, 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 it's the strongest case I think I've heard, I guess, for, for some things to, to, to be different. Yeah,
1: and I think you know, that is reflected in public sentiment, too. I think you know, a lot of the public has seen these, these changes uh, seeing you know college football head coaches making almost ten million dollars a year, and seeing the you know because they can't make profit and because they they aren't going to pay the players, you know you get waterfalls in the locker rooms and all these ridiculous uh, you know displays because they have they have to spend the money they make on something, and it, it allows them to also then say well we don't have any money to pay the players because look we 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 already you know we don't make profit as is, and it's this silly circular argument, but public sentiment has shifted pretty dramatically through the years and you know i think it was last december there was a survey uh, an ap survey uh, of the public about you know what Benefits do students deserve? And something like 66 percent of, of respondents said they deserve to make money off of their name, image and likeness. Fifty two percent thought they deserved a cut of media rights. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't think these surveys existed 40 years ago, but I'm pretty sure both of those numbers would have been about a half that amount mm-hmm. uh, if we had taken that same poll in the late 70s or early 80s. So yeah, I think that's the biggest reason why public perceptions have shifted. The media percep- has, has view- begun to view this all in a different way over the last decade as well. It's just really, really hard to ignore that everything else has changed, but we're still holding on to a definition of student athlete that was cynical when it was created 55 years ago. Mm. Um, you know, it was created so athletes, so you didn't have to pay athletes workers' compensation for any injuries they re- uh, you know, received while playing the sport. Uh, it was cynical from the start, and we they're still holding on to it, and it's it's very frustrating to have the same argument every year. So I hope that things do change after everything that's happened this yeah, summer. Yeah. Uh,
0: lastly, in your piece, you write about the idea of centralized oversight and mm-hmm. why that's important. Uh, it, it seems to me that that would make some of these questions easier to adjudicate if you did have mm-hmm. more centralized control over over these uh, leagues and 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 the programs you, you could you could negotiate a little better i guess uh, a, a brighter future for these athletes
1: yeah and it's hard to figure out exactly like i don't completely even know what i mean by centralized leadership is it something within the ncaa does it come from uh congress at this point since hmm. they got since they asked congress to get involved with the name image and likeness debate um it's it's hard to figure out exactly how that happens it's just that especially these last few weeks. Like I, I was really hoping that being that circumstances being what they are, that we wouldn't have to go through all the same regional fights and uh, vying amongst each other and, and maneuvering against each other for this and that and, the, and good PR and everything that we've seen, uh, these circumstances should have called for something different, but instead, you know, we had the ACC and the SEC and everybody tr- coming up with their own scheduling models, and it took them over a month to do that. Okay. Even if, like, even when we thought there would be football in the fall, and all these other conferences had to wait and see what they did to find out what games they had that were canceled. It was just a disastrous process, and now you've got. You know, we've broken off into our tribes. Every SEC fan thinks the Big Ten is is you know screwed up, and they you know they, they don't care about their athletes like we do. And you've got Big Ten and Pac twelve fans saying the same things. We've fallen back into our typical college football you know dialogue, basically, even though we're talking about it's a pandemic. And so, mm-hmm. having some sort of centralized leadership that could just simply take the arrows and and basically say we're nobody's playing this fall. We're going to start uh, working on a true serious plan to try to play in the winter and spring uh we're all you know just somebody who can get yelled at so all the other conferences can do what's right i think that would be very very useful right now i think it probably has to come from the congressional level because the ncaa is just going to you know appoint itself as commissioner somebody who can uh continue to toe the party line but it's it's hard to figure out how that fits into this structure and what's possible and That answer hasn't gotten any easier, no matter how much we've seen the need for more centralized leadership. Hmm.
0: Okay. Bill Connolly, ESPN staff writer, author of a piece this week titled Better Future for College Football Players. Here's how to make it happen. Really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Amazon plans to move into a spot at the old State Fairground site here in Detroit. I'm going to talk with USA Today reporter Nathan Bomey about the significance of that move and how it fits into Amazon's bigger plans for world domination. Stay with us on Detroit Today.